Philippians chapter 4, we're going to cover, I think, the first nine verses. And the first nine verses of Philippians 4 are really intimate. They're really personal. It has to do a lot with the mind, the thought life, what, we, what it is we devote ourselves to, our, our inner man, our inner being. And this letter isn't actually a letter of correction, this letter to the Philippians. This is a, this is a letter of thanks from Paul. He's thanking them for the way they provided for him. And then he slipped in there the teaching about unity. He's talked about the unity they they are to have in the body. And And he quoted, of course, the greatest example, that being Jesus Christ, and how his humility to God, to God the Father, and um the way that the way when we amplify that, the way we example that in our own lives, it creates unity. So we'll start in Philippians 4, verse 1, and we will read down through verse 9. Philippians 4, 1 says, Therefore, my beloved, and long for, brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Iodia, and I implore Sintichi, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through, through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So this is, again, this is, this is the thought life. This is where Paul is, is bringing it all around to, to help us realize really what controls us. And that is what we allow to come into our heads, right? There is there's this, uh, I guess you can kind of think of it as a, um, a constant party going on in your mind or a constant gathering, a constant conference. And uh, he's telling you only to allow certain things into your mind. That is, that is the overall uh, message of this this passage we have here, but these things, these thoughts, right? These can't. These are hard to be measured. I mean, um, you'll have discerning people, gracious discerning people. I think God gives that that gift of discernment to very gracious people. Um, the people who have shown it the most in my life have been very gracious toward me when they can see what's going on in my mind and my heart. But those things aren't measurable by what's on your breath, right? You can't. Um, you can't measure it in your blood. These are things that are between you and the Lord. These are things that Paul is taking incredibly seriously, even though he knows that the people around you are going to find it hard to measure in you. It, 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 it certainly works out in our character. We know that to be true. But it's something that's hard to measure in the moment. But he starts, Paul starts, right? This is already, this is the letter of, of, of thankfulness. He says in verse 1, therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, he calls them his beloved, right? He has this heart connection to them. 
He loves them. This actually it comes from that word, that Greek word agape, the strongest, purest form of love, that unconditional love. And he says that twice. He says it at the beginning of the verse and the end of the verse, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Right? He, it's, these are his beloved, his long for. This is a source of joy and gladness in Paul's life. He says, my joy and my crown. The crown is the wreath, the garland, right? The thing that the, the Roman athlete would receive upon winning. Uh, that this is, this is something given to an athlete for a good performance, right? Something that is given to commend a performance made. Um, time put in, effort put forth. And the question is, are the things that we love, the things that we've given our hearts to, are those things that the Lord would commend? Are those things that the Lord would say, well done for, right? It's certainly, if our trust is in Jesus Christ for salvation, he'll say, well done. But these things, right, These the way we pour into other people's lives, we care about other people's character, we care about their kids, we care about their circumstances, we care about their health, right? We care about their reputation. Are, are these the things, right? Is, is that the thing that I'm concerned about? Am I, am I earnestly before the Lord? Are, are, are you guys, as I sit here and I listen to you guys, I come out for that last song, and I hear you all, you all singing, and there's, what, 12 of us in here, and I'm just so blessed by it. I'm, I'm so blessed to hear the voice of the saints singing the song. It's, you know, and it sounds cliche, it, but it was helpful to me. It calmed my heart because what I'm here for, right, what I'm here for is for the body. Will, well, I get the text. Like I said, I don't know when he sent it. I got it at 2.15. And um, in my flesh, I much rather I, I much rather that Will ask John to teach tonight, but for whatever reason, Will asked me to teach tonight. So I said, uh, for sure, by the grace of God, you know, that is um, that is something that He's given me. He's He's blessed me with the opportunity to do, and by His grace, I'll do it. Is that is is this body? Is this what we have here? Right, one body, many parts. Is this what we cherish? Is this what I am cherishing? I um, I've made a I made a commitment. I made a decision. Um, trying to search for the right word. Uh, I've come. Anyway, I've made a decision, a very firm decision, uh, with my wife. She actually she came to me. I was shaving last night, and she walked over to the bathroom door. She goes, Oliver, I have a confession. And I thought she was going to say I ate too many donuts or something. I really didn't know what she was going to say. but uh, And it really wasn't that big of a deal because uh, I don't actually remember what she said. But as she said it, I responded to her. I said, Alexis, I have a confession. And she goes, yeah. And, of course, she's probably thinking, like, I kicked the neighbor's dog. I don't know. My, my confessions are usually worse than hers. But um, I said, uh, I'm getting rid of my smartphone. I'm getting a flip phone. I, uh, and, and she said, really? I said, really, I, I, I mean it. And I'll make sense of this. But um, she goes, I'll do it with you. And of course, she must, have, she must have gathered from how I said it and the circumstances that I meant it because I do mean it and I'm going to. And um, I don't know how flip phones work now. But um, not that I can figure it out. But that's not – anyway, I've had a smartphone for so long, for more than a decade now. Um, 
But last night I was doing something. I'm, I'm working. I'm playing with the kids. I'm trying to get something set up. And then I realized something's in the bedroom that I need to, to help, help the kids. And all I remember, I actually don't remember what the thing is, but I put my smartphone down. It was probably a book. Right? I put my smartphone down and I go up the stairs and I turn, I turn the corner into my bedroom. I walk through the door. What am I here for? And, I, and the first thing I think of is, where's my smartphone? I look at the plug. I look at the outlet. And it's not plugged in. And I go, I put it down. Right? But that's the thing, um, unfortunately, that my heart gravitates to. It's, it is a source of comfort. It is a screen of companionship. And I'm going to be honest with you guys, that smartphone has a part of my mind that I owe to you. That smartphone has a part of my mind I owe to my children, that I owe to my wife. That smartphone has a part of my mind that I owe to Jesus Christ. And it's stealing life from me because I am addicted to that screen. It can do. And the thing is, I think so many of us say, but I can check my bank statement. And guys, I'm not saying you all have to get rid of your smartphones. I'm saying I wrestled with this for a while. And I would say, but I can check my bank statement. I can make sure I'm not overdrawn. I can check my email. I can, I can, how could I, oh wait, there was a time when we didn't have smartphones. And um, that's, that's a personal conviction, but that is a place where I've recognized my heart has, has founded it's, it's given a piece of itself to my smartphone, a large piece. It's, it's actually a, um, something that I gravitate to that, that gives me comfort. And I don't, I, it's, I'm done with it. I'm, I am getting a flip phone. So uh, my beloved, right, that where they have a place in his heart, my long poor brother, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Uh, Paul says this another place in Galatians, he uses that phrase, stand fast. Paul's writing to the Galatians because they began in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then the, the Judaizers have come in, and they're trying to insist to them that they have a good start right, in Jesus, but there are certain parts of the law that they have to keep. And Paul's telling them that they're falling back into bondage, and that they're actually falling from grace by trying to maintain a relationship with God through works of law. He makes this whole uh, presentation about how righteousness has always been through faith. He quotes Old Testament saints. Um, he quotes promises from the Old Testament. He tells them that the law was simply a tutor to show to guide us to Christ, to show us how we 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 can't um, succeed on our own. We will fail, but that Christ is going to be the one to fulfill the law for us. In Galatians chapter five, after he 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 makes his argument, he makes his point from the Old Testament. He's he's telling these people. Um, don't get caught up in this teaching that's only going to bring you into bondage. He says in verse 1 of chapter 5, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Right? Stand fast. Stand fast, therefore. Paul says that in Ephesians, excuse me, Philippians chapter 4. He's also saying it here. Stand fast. Stand there, and when the attack comes, when the temptation comes, continue to stand. Stand and stand and stand. And stand in liberty. God has given you freedom. Stand in that freedom. And don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage, because Jesus said, 
Come to me, all you who, who labor and are heavy laden, and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Right? That's what Jesus says. Jesus, and there is a yoke. Remember, there is, there is one that desires to bind us. When, when Jesus is being confronted by um, the scribes in Mark chapter 3, and they're saying that he casts out demons by the power of Beelzebub, Jesus confronts them and says, what are you talking about? How can a house divided against itself stand? If a house is divided against itself, it's going to fall. He says, Satan can't cast out um, demons by the power of Satan, or, or he'd fall. And then he, he makes that point. He says, if one is, um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but you'll get the point. It's essentially the point. Uh, for if one is to cast out Satan first, he must go in and he must bind the mighty man. He's, Jesus is saying, I, I bound Satan, right? I'm, he must bind the mighty man and then plunder his goods. And there is one in the Old Testament who says that he comes and he he binds the mighty one who has taken captive men and their children. And that is Jehovah. That is Yahweh. That's Isaiah 49, chapter 49, verses 24 and 25. Jehovah makes that, that claim that I have bound the mighty, the mighty one who has taken captive these men. And he says, I will contend with the one who contends with you. And he says, and I will save your children and Jesus says, I have bound the mighty man, and I have plundered his goods. If you remember in Genesis chapter 15, where Abraham goes to war against the kings in the north because they've come down and they've taken his nephew Lot, um, he goes to war with his 300 trained men, and he goes up and he, he gets all the goods, and he gets Lot, and he comes back down, and then the king of Sodom comes out. Right, Sodom's never a good sign, the king of Sodom. But he comes out and he says, and, and basically he's, thank you. He says, you can keep all the goods, but just let me have the people. Right? It, it's it's the word for souls. Just let me have the souls. There's a picture there. The king of Sodom doesn't care about the the stuff, the material. He'll get, the devil will give you all the material in the world. He he wants you to have materialism. He wants you to surrender souls. And and then, of course, um, Abraham says, lest you say that you make me rich, I won't take any of your money. But that's in this, in this chapter in, in Isaiah 49, the devil wants the men. He wants the souls. And God is the one who frees them. He's going to contend with the one who contends with us. He's going to free. He's going to save our children. Jesus makes that statement in Mark chapter. It's a, it's a subtle statement. You got to understand. But, of course, the scribes are going to know what Jesus is talking about. This is Jehovah. This is Yahweh who's come to, to free men and to save their children. And um, this is the freedom that we're called to stand in. Because, remember, the, the yoke of bondage, the yoke, right? Oh, I've, oh, well, I place myself in the yoke. I can. Well, no, it's, it's a yoke of bondage. You're enslaved in it. Don't, don't be enslaved with that yoke of bondage. Stand fast in the liberty by which Christ, Christ has made you free. And, and Paul's saying that again, stand fast in the Lord. In the Lord, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, beloved. Then he goes on, I am, guys, I, I promise, I practice these names and I still can't pronounce them. I implore Yodia and I implore Sintiche to be of the same mind in the Lord. So 
here's a letter, right? And this could be kind of embarrassing because we get the we get the idea that this is an open correction of these two, which the whole church is going to know about, and then the rest of church history, right? Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So, but anyway, this is gentle, and at the same time. Paul's talking about unity. He, he wants them to be of the same mind. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Right? He says, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, coming in the form of a man. Made himself of no reputation, coming in the form of a servant. Anyway, I'll turn to it. I knew I'd... Um, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of a man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It says, therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess, both in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. I love that. But, this is, this is the mind that is in Christ, who being in the form of God didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God the Father. He let go of that thing. He didn't, he didn't cling to it. He let go of it. He humbled himself. In this, in this circumstance, um, I assume that there's a clashing over spiritual gifts. There's probably a ministry going on that both of these women are blessed in, that they both have spiritual blessings, spiritual gifts in this area. And that's oftentimes where you see butting of heads, where you have two leadership type people who want to um, kind of take control and, you know, the Lord saying, be of the same mind. What, you know, what good are you going to fight for? Is it, is, it, is it to tear down your sister or your brother? Is, am I going to try and tear down my sister or my brother so I can be exalted? Or am I going to encourage them? Am I going to endorse them? Am I going to be of the same mind trying to exalt Jesus? And that's that's what uh, that's what Paul is is encouraging them to. Because again, many parts, one body. Romans chapter twelve, First Corinthians chapter twelve. Oh, and um, you know, there's a there's a, a good illustration in Luke. Actually, I'll turn to it. You guys saw what just happened when I tried to quote Philippians two, but um, in Luke. When uh, Jesus has sent the 12 out to do ministry, to preach the gospel, the kingdom of God, I'll get to it eventually. Luke chapter 9. So Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him, because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and to consume them, just as Elijah did? But he turned, and he rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So the, in, the, in this part in the, the account, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem and passing through um, lands of the Samaritans. They're not receiving them. They're not receiving Jesus. They're not receiving the message because, remember, the Samaritans despise Jerusalem. They despise the Jews. The Jews despise the Samaritans. 
And um, so in this this whole the self righteous, remember they also said, when you come into your kingdom, can we sit one at your right hand, one at your left? And he says, can you drink from the cup of which I'm going to drink? And they said, yeah. And um, it's it's that whole it's that big headedness. It's it's the it's the uh, not looking to fulfill the Lord's will in a circumstance, but seeking your own, right? Because all of these things are done. Um, all of our pride is undone, is put in proper perspective when we lead with love. That that's the command in um, uh, in Ephesians. You know, talking about like a husband loves his wife as, as Christ loves the church, and also Jesus saying that I haven't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. In First uh, Corinthians fifteen, we have thirteen. We have that that beautiful message about love, right? Love. Uh, does not love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, does not parade itself, it is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. So it's not provoked. This circumstance where, of course, the disciples are provoked, the ones sent out, and in this and in this circumstance with Eo, with Eodia and Sentice, they are they seem to be seeking their own. Both of these circumstances could be done right, could be could be righted in in uh, their own context if led with love. If the desire of my heart was that people around me know know Jesus, know the gentle, compassionate Jesus, yet the sovereign, powerful, omniscient Jesus. But um, this is this is a gentle correction from Paul. Be of the same mind, that mind that is of Jesus. Verse 3, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So we don't know who the true companion is exactly. There's, there's no way to know for certain. But who labors? And again, it's laboring with Paul. How are we, how are we encouraging and edifying? How am I, what am I doing here that is helping the, the message that is being preached from the pulpit. I'm not speaking of myself right now. I'm, I'm speaking of when Will teaches, and he so constantly points to the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What am I doing to promote the message? Am I getting in the way? Or am, am I laboring with, with, with Will, right? He, he gets up week after week, and I think I've heard him preach every message, and then certainly the Spirit of the Lord's fallen upon him because he says something I've never heard him say before. You know, I've been here eight and a half years. I, I come to I come to church three, four times a week and listen to the guy teach. And yet the Lord always says something new through him, to which we can all say praise God. Right? Labor, labor with one another. Exalt Jesus Christ. Exalt his name. See people be saved. These names, whose names are written in the book of life. Then he goes on, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And so this is easy to say, right? Um, rejoice in the Lord. And he doesn't say that. He says always. He says rejoice in the Lord always. But he also doesn't just say rejoice always. He says rejoice in the Lord always. I've said it like four times now, but you guys get it. There's things to rejoice of in the Lord. There's a rejoicing that we can have that, that isn't fleeting. And it's if it's in the Lord. There's, there's a thing that God has done 
that he's spoken from times past and that he's fulfilled, he's brought to pass, and it has been preserved for us to be able to have confidence in. There's things that have that has happened in the past so that we can look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 and read and have confidence when it says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it even unto the day of the Lord Jesus. We can rejoice in that because God has been so faithful in the past. We can read the things. We can know the things. And, of course, um, uh, the sciences are confirming archaeology, right? Archaeology uh, the, the, the finding of new manuscripts, parchments, um, it, not, not just from the land of Israel, but from surrounding nations. Of course, we know we, we have full confidence that the, the, uh, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. And Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by, by no means pass away. And then we see in 1947, in the, the caves of Qumran, we, we have the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, Right earlier than Jesus Christ, compared with what we have in the Old Testament, it's essentially the same, containing every book except maybe Esther. And every, any, any change in the, um, in the scrolls from what we have in our Old Testament today from the Dead Sea Scrolls are, just, are, are things like, uh, um, like spelling and things that there's no doctrinal changes, there's no... Um, there's nothing like that. It, the, the, the Word of God, the Old Testament, has been preserved. The New Testament, the most preserved, uh, highly attested to manuscript in, the, in, in antiquity, bar none, nothing even comes close. We could go into that too. But the, the point is, um, rejoice in, in the Lord. The, the Lord has given us reason to be confident in Him. In Him. Because, guys, you look around, people are freaking out. And I did a lot of street evangelism this summer, and I led with <laughs> every time, hey, what do you guys think about COVID? Just random people just walk, hey, how's it going? What do you think about COVID? And the, the thing is, even if people weren't freaked, freaked out about COVID personally, when they looked out, when they looked around at other people and they saw that they were, they understood the reason was because people are are fearful of their own mortality. In the Lord, we can rejoice. Outside of the Lord, people die around us. Things fall apart. Businesses fail. You get freaked out by your mortality, about your fi- about your finances, about your family. Parents see children die. Oh my goodness! I have a I have a coworker whose son died a few years ago, and I didn't know until. One time she mentioned her daughter-in-law's boyfriend. I said, what? Like that, that doesn't, you mean your son? I, I'm, I wait, what? I'm confused, right? And then I find out three weeks ago, her husband died of a heart attack. And my heart's just broken. And I, I don't say that lightly. I just, I say, oh my goodness. Oh Lord. Oh Lord, comfort this woman. She came back to work this Monday. How do you come back to work after your husband dying of a heart attack two and a half weeks ago? I don't know. Sometimes all people know how to do is put one foot in front of the other. And there's a, there's a godliness to that if we can do that in faith. Walk by faith, not by sight, right? Put one foot in front of the other. But 
I took the opportunity. I'm not patting myself on the back. I, I, I guess I'm asking you guys for, for this woman, for a prayer for this woman. And um, what I did is I, I got her a card and I bought her a book about Jesus in the afterlife. And uh, she was very thankful. She was so thankful for it. And I don't know if that ever would have happened without that circumstance. But she said, I will enjoy reading that book very much. Thank you. And I, you know, I don't know, like, if, if that would have been a, an option before that. Um, the point is, in the Lord, we have something to rejoice about. The point is, no matter how tragic the circumstances for our family members, for, for if, if you have to witness losing a child, you can know that instantly they're in bliss. They're in the presence of God who wipes away every tear. We can rejoice always. Let's, let's, and of course, remember context. Paul's writing this from the prison in Rome. He's in the lowest dungeon and he's chained to a Roman soldier and he's saying rejoice. What excuse do we have? Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand, right? It's moderate temperament. It's, um, it has a lot to do with body language, right? You can say, well, I'm, I'm not a jerk, but how do you respond? Is there like, I'm preaching to myself, Oliver. Is there a passive aggressive attitude to your body, body language, to your body behavior? Because I know there is. There's a, yeah, I'm doing it, but it's only because I'm self-righteous or whatever, you know. Um, when I'm walking in the spirit, and I'm, I'm doing things for God's glory, I can just say, I can, and it, it's, a, it's an act of volition. It's an act of trust. It doesn't, guys, it doesn't always feel good, but it results in fruit, right? There's fruit that comes from trusting in God. There's fruit that comes from not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And, and um, you know, gentleness, but having a moderate temperament to you, being in control of your, your language, your body language, the way you interact with people, it does a lot. It, it means a lot to people. It causes people to turn to you and trust when they ask to confide something in you. If, if you have no integrity, if we lack integrity, if I lack integrity, if I sit up here and I say these things and I have no integrity to the way I function, then what's it going to mean? What kind of impression is that going to leave on my kids? If I'm flipping out, if daddy's an associate pastor, right, but he has, he has no gentleness. If he has no control, he lacks integrity. Jesus has broken the power of sin and death on our lives. Let's walk in that victory. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand, right? Jesus comes, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus shows up, he says, it's, it's a hand. You can grasp it. You can partake in it. These things are at your disposal now. I'm coming. I'm bringing heaven to earth. These things are being fulfilled. And he says that in Luke chapter 4. He stands up. He reads the scroll of Isaiah. And um, the, the, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to, to heal the sick. And then he sits down and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Right? And they say, who is this guy? Isn't this the son of the carpenter? And they try to run him out of town. They actually want to push him off a cliff and kill him, but it says he passes through him because that's not how he's going to die. But, right, the kingdom of God is a hand. Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God, and he never left. He may have physically ascended to the right hand of the Father, but 
Matthew 28 says, um, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And lo, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. I'll be with you everywhere, wherever you go. The Lord is at hand. He's with you and he's coming at the same time. He's coming physically in glory. Um, John sees that. He sees the glory of Jesus. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's that's a, a bumper sticker verse, right? It, maybe one that we all know pretty well. I know it was actually the first two verses I ever memorized in the Bible, maybe other than John 3.16. But um, I, I actually I made the decision to memorize those two verses. Be anxious for nothing. That's easy, right? Be anxious for nothing. Um, he, get, he gets into how we be anxious for nothing, but he talks about what this does in the life of the believer. It, uh, it gives you the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, and it guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Apart from Christ Jesus, no. But in Christ Jesus, yes. Be anxious for... And he sa- the first thing he says, by prayer and supplication, right? crying out to God, asking for things, but at the same time, with thanksgiving, gratefulness. Are we grateful or are we begrudging? Right? Are we cheerful? Are we thankful? Are we always wanting more? Mine, me, I want, I want, I want, right? That, that's, that's kind of the culture we live in, always feeding senses, but he's saying with thanksgiving. Sometimes we, we need to simply lead with praise. We need to lead with thank you, God, for what you've done. Because, guys, I'm assuming I'm the youngest one in the room here. 28, 29 next month. And um, I'm I'm a knucklehead. You know, you guys have years on me, so maybe you've done more knuckleheadish things than me, but probably not in such volume at one point in time. Maybe. Maybe. But... The, the thing I want to, I'm, I'm kind of leading into dwell on is at 28 years old, I can recognize all the stupid things. Oh my gosh, my daughter would correct me if she heard me say that word. But all the things that I've done in my life and all the times I worried about not having enough to get to the next whatever, the next paycheck, the next big break, the next time someone bails me out. The point is, I would go through life being anxious about, to my shame, spotting someone five bucks so that they could enjoy, you know, Burger King with me and other friends because they forgot their wallet. I'm, I mean, how many of us have said, "I'm gonna go broke. I'm broke. This is gonna, this is gonna be the end of me," right? And yet, here we are. I'm sure we've all said it more than once. This is it. I, I kept screwed up this time. Yeah. Yet, Paul's saying, enter in with thanksgiving. Enter into prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Because here I am at 28 years old, and I'm not dead yet. And I have three kids that love me to death, and a wife that at least acts like she loves me. She's, <laughs> she's a blessing. She really is. But um, she knows me, I think, better than the kids do, and yet she still loves me. It's a, it's a miracle. So be anxious for nothing, guys. The Lord's going to take care of you. Ha- be grateful. 
have thanksgiving in your prayer life and you're and you're crying out to god knowing that god's already taken care of you what we need guys is not what we want there's a lot of things there's a lot of things that we all want and everyone in here is going to agree with me when i say what we need is to seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness right and what we need is to trust that god is going to take care of all the other things all of these things will be added unto you don't worry about those things. The, the birds don't worry about it. The lilies don't worry about it. Solomon in all of his glory wasn't arrayed as one of the lilies of the field, which today is and tomorrow's cast into the oven. Be anxious for nothing. It says in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. The peace of God. It's, it, you know, what do we have if we don't have God's peace? If we don't know the God of peace. He moves into, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, pure, lovely, good report, praiseworthy, virtuous, meditate on these things. Whatever things are true, guys, there's an enemy of your soul who wants you to meditate on anything but the truth. You know, when Jesus came, he was, he astonished people. Because as they listened to him teach, they said he speaks as one with authority, not as one, not as um, one of the like one of the the scribes, right? Jesus led with truly, truly, and that word is amen, amen. How many of you guys would feel uncomfortable if I just said, "Hey, amen this," and you're like, "Amen what?" Well, I'm going to say something. I want you to say amen before I say it. Like what? Well, God showed up, and he said, amen, and then he told you the truth. Amen, amen. I tell you the truth. You've heard it said, right? But I tell you the truth. That, that, that word is amen, amen. Um, that word is, is used in the Old Testament, which it's a, obviously it's a different language, but it's, um, it's pr pronounced very similar, the amen, and it's, translated in our Bible is the same, truly. Um, it's used 23 times, and it's always used in response to God, that truly. God would say something, and people would say amen. Right? There's one occurrence in Isaiah 65 where God talks about uh, making a vow. He says, it's talking about making a vow and swearing by the God of amen. And, he, and he, he uses that that phrase twice, Isaiah 65. I can't remember the verses right now. Uh, I might be 29, but I'm not positive, so don't quote me on that. Anyway, we can figure it out if you're really interested. But the point I want to make is God is the God of amen because whatever he speaks is true because he spoke it. Because God is unchanging. There's no shadow of changing in God, Right? John sees the glorified Jesus, and he says, I'm the first and the last, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the Amen. Jesus says, I am God Almighty. And we are called to meditate on what is true. Amen. Amen. <laughs> um, John, uh, Jesus said in John 17, in his high priestly prayer to the Father, he said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Right? That's, that's the thing that's going to sanctify us. That's the thing that's going to set us apart. It's going to make us ready for spiritual battle. It's the thing that's going to win souls. 
Um, uh, I had. It is it is the power of the gospel. The gospel's truth. God's word's truth. The gospel's truth. Romans chapter one verse sixteen says. Um, the gospel is the power of God to salvation, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For all, for, for all those who believe, excuse me, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. It is the power of God unto salvation. The truth of the gospel. Jesus, Jesus said, right, the amen. He says in John 15, he said, um, if I had not, if I had not come and spoken to them, then they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. This is John chapter 15, verse 22. Now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which I had done, which no one else did, they, they would have no sin. But now they have seen me and also hated me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without cause. The point is, God showed up, the amen, and he did the works which confirmed what the Messiah, what, what God in the flesh was going to do when he came. Remember, John the Baptist sent his disciples to, um, to Jesus. I think it's Luke chapter 7. He's in prison, and they say, are you the one to come, or should we look for another? And Jesus simply responds by saying, well, it says at that hour, he healed many, healed many blind, he, he made whole lepers, he um, he gave, uh, yeah, he, he did many miracles in that very hour is what it says. I can't remember all, what it lists, but it says he did many miracles in that very hour. And then he responds to the disciples, go back to John and tell him the things that you've seen, that the lame walk, that the blind see, that the lepers are cleansed, right? Because this is the promise made in Isaiah. This is what the one who sent is going to accomplish, right? There is a, there's a level of... Um, you're held responsible for the level of light that you've received. And that's certainly something that the Jews understood. But at the same time, a point that I want to dwell on in this is, Jesus said, I mean, don't get me wrong, they had the law of Moses. I haven't, I read commentaries, but I didn't, I didn't see anyone put it quite like this. But I, I hope you understand what I'm, what the point I'm making when I say, um, when Jesus says, if I, had, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. They would have an excuse for their sin if God had made a promise and then broken it. If God's word were void, if God's word were not true, holy, wholly true, then they would have an excuse for their sin because God would have sinned. But that is not in fact what happened. God kept his word. God promised in Genesis, 15, uh, in Genesis 3, verse 15, that the seed was going to crush the head of the serpent. God was going to be the one redeeming humanity. He promised in Isaiah 9, 6 that God was, in fact, the one that was going to do it. He was going to be the son that was born. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Right? Um, you, have, you have the promise in Malachi chapter 3. It says the Lord is coming to his temple fast. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, it says, Behold, I send uh, forth the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And then it, you open right up in the gospel of Mark. And, and Mark, the one who compiled that gospel, the um, disciple of Peter, 
He leads by quoting those two verses and saying, this Jesus is the God spoken of in our Jewish scriptures made manifest to Israel to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He leads with those. He says, Malachi 3 verse 1 says, the Lord is coming to his temple. And then Mark says, Jesus is the one coming to, coming to the temple, right? And um, so the point is, God's word hasn't failed. God's word hasn't changed. God's word has been preserved. And we can place our confidence in it. Meditate on those things that are true. The gospel is true. The gospel is the thing that sanctifies us. Whatever things are noble. So not just what's true, because there are plenty of things that are true that aren't, aren't honorable, but meditate on those things that are noble also. Truth and honor. Whatever things are just, right? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 7 says, The first to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. The cross-examination. How often does that happen in our culture now? Maybe in the court, but on the news? No. The bias on the news is so thick that you don't actually know what the other side thinks. I'm not saying I stand on one side or the other, but I'm telling you the media is so good at making both sides think the same exact thing, the same exact thing about the other side, the way they portray it. You ask a Democrat, what do you think about a Republican? Well, he's a flipping lunatic. He, he has no idea. He's just out of touch. Ask a conservative, what do you think about a liberal? Liberal, well, they're just crazy. They're dim-witted. They, they, just, they have no grip on reality. Why are we saying the same thing about the person on the other side of the line? I'm not saying divide over that line. There's two types of people. They're saved and unsaved. But the, the devil would like us to not hear our fellow humans out. right? Because we all need Jesus. And the, and the desire of our hearts should be that everyone, everyone knows him. Because there's only one message. I, I am firmly convinced that the reason this nation is falling apart slowly and crazy the way it is is because some people look at and lean on political reform, think maybe that's the answer. Born-again Christians, right? The, vote for the, the man with the right policies. I agree with that completely. I'm not saying don't. But the, the right policies aren't going aren't gonna to save this country. Jesus Christ alone will. He's the only one who's going to save this country. He's the only one who can turn it around and create unity because he's the only one humble enough to get down on another person's level and look them in the eyes and give them what they need. And that is him. We don't have what people need unless what we're, what we're offering is Jesus. Just, right? This justice. Hear each other out. Hear both sides of a case. Even, even if... When you hear both sides of the case, the person's still wrong. I'm just saying this scripture tells us hear both sides of a case. Whatever things are pure, right? Uncontaminated. Um, we, we know that phrase, sincere, without wax, and having integrity. Whatever things are lovely, right? Now, whatever things are ugly, meditate on lovely things. Whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Let your mind be filled with good things. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, 
do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You're going to be transformed when you allow the truth to be the thing that you meditate on. Jesus Jesus said, whatever you pray in my name, you will receive. Jesus Christ prayed in his name to the Father that we would be sanctified by truth. Wow, we, we should just hunker down and believe it and get on our face and be sanctified by truth because it's going to happen. Be, don't be conformed. Be transformed. Meditate on these things. The things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So the God of peace, the God that doesn't change, the God that, the God that is continuously in pursuit of his children, the ones called by his name, he's proven that his word hasn't changed. He's given us evidence. Um, he's shown us he's trustworthy because he, he told about he was going to come. He was going to redeem. He was going to be the one to lay his life down to win, not only win the victory, but also stand in our place um, in, in judgment. He was going to be our uh, – He's going to stand in our place in judgment. I'm, the, the word is, I'm, it's fleeting at the moment. But he's, he's proven he's trustworthy. He made the promises. He fulfilled the promises. And this communicates to us, guys. This communicates God's sufficiency about him. His sufficiency, his holiness, his omnipotence, his ability to, to be in complete control, his sovereignty, right? His forthrightness. It shows he's able, he's powerful, he's willing. But at the same time, God's word shows us he's compassionate. God's word shows us he's loving, he's gentle, he's benevolent. God's love shows, God's word shows he cares. He's not quick to judge, and he knows what's in the heart of man. He doesn't need anyone to tell him. He knows what's in the heart of man. But the thing about this alpha character, and I don't use the term alpha male because I know that has um, cultural stigma to it, but the thing about this alpha character that is our God, this beginning and end of all things, where all things find their culmination in him, is that he's so magnificent and massive and holy and so loving. The thing is, you can fall in love with him. His arms are open and he's begging you to. He's begging that we fall in love with him, that we find our sufficiency at his altar, at his feet. He'll care for us. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. Do we believe, do I believe that God's presence is enough for me? That God's, it's the only thing, guys. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. It's the only thing that's going to change this country. It's the only thing that's going to going to affect the rioters, right? The only thing that's going to affect the indifferent, the indifferent spectator who just doesn't care, whatever. You know, it's the only thing that's going to affect the untethered liberal or the um, remorseless Republican or the dim-witted Democrat or the self-righteous conservative. It's it's the only thing God is showing us. He's the only way. And the way this message is going to change our life, transform our life, is from our mind, from our heart, 
outwards. It's got to start in our heart. We've got to let it take take control of our whole being. And then pray to God we be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ that brings the gospel of peace. Right? Blessed are those, the hands and the feet that bring the gospel of peace. I pray to God that, that we are those people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your servants, Lord, who wrote down your word, Lord, gave testimony to who you are, to your character. And we thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, our Savior, for God the Son, come in the flesh to dwell among us. Lord, we know the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He is our life. Lord, I pray that when we are not at church, when we are not in the Word, when we're not in fellowship, we crave to be there. We crave to be back among your people, to be in your Word. Lord, I pray that we're praying for one another. And again, we lift up our our pastor, your son. We pray you touch him. Lord, we pray for your anointing also on his life, Lord, to use him wherever he is, if he's in the hospital or at home. Lord, allow your your truth to pour out of him. You tell us to guard our hearts because from it flow all the issues of life. And yet you stand, you stand in John 7, it says on the, the, the high day of the feast that you cried out, many are thirsty, come to you and drink. And, and from our hearts will flow rivers of or flow rivers of living water. Lord, I pray that it, that would be the same for Will. He'd be comforted by those things, by your supernatural presence. Lord, and that he would affect whoever he's around. I pray I pray the same for us. Lord, that we'd recognize, you'd remember we're, we're highly favored in the beloved, just as Mary was. We have that same status. Lord, we pray this all. We thank you. We are so grateful for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.